0: Mrs. Lirriper's Legacy by Charles Dickens More stories of a London landlady in Victorian England Episode 2 Affairs with Miss Wozenham and The Legacy Adventure Begins In episode 1, we met Mrs. Lirriper's drunken brother-in-law Joshua Mr. Buffel, the officious tax collector and heard of the Buffel family's rescue from a terrible fire that was masterminded by Major Jackman Now Mrs Liripur sees an old foe in a new light and the mystery of her legacy finally begins across the channel in France.
1: Why, my dear, there is the matter of Wozenham's lodging house, lower down and on the other side of the street. I had a feeling of much soreness for several years respecting what I must still ever call Miss Wozenham's systematic underbidding? And the likeness of the house in the Bradshaw's guide, having far too many windows and a most umbrageous and outrageous oak tree, which never yet was seen in Norfolk Street, nor yet a carriage and four at the Wozenham door. This frame of mind continued bitter down to the very afternoon in January last when one of my girls, Sally Raraghanoo, which I still suspect of Irish extraction, though family represented Cambridge, came banging, news no milder expression, into my room with a jump, which may be Cambridge and may not. Hello, Mrs. <laughs> Miss Wozenham has gone and sold up. Miss Wazenham? Sold up? My dear... When I had it thrown in my face and conscience that the girl Sally had reason to think I would be glad of the ruin of a fellow preacher, I burst into tears and was ashamed of myself. I tried to settle to my tea, but I could not do it, what with thinking of Miss Wozenham and her distresses. It was a wretched night, and I went up to her front window and looked over at Wozenham's and as well as I could make it out down the street and in the fog, there was not a light to be seen. So I puts on the oldest bonnet and shawl, not wishing Miss Wozenham to be reminded of my best at such a time. Is Miss Wozenham at home? Miss Wozenham? Miss <laughs> Wozenham, it is several years since there was a little unpleasantness between us on the subject of my grandson's cat being down your basement. I have overlooked it. And I hope you have done the same. Yes, Mrs Liriput, I have. Then, my dear, I should be glad to come in and speak a word to you. Oh. <laughs> now, my dear, tell me all. Oh, Mrs Lirriper, that man is in possession here and I've not a friend in the world who is able to help me with a shilling. Oh, my dear. I'd have given thirty shillings to have taken her over to tea, only I durst on account of the major because she had offended his pride. <laughs> Miss Wozenham. if you could give me a cup of tea to clear my muddle of head, I should better understand your affairs. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> What a waddling old goose I have been, my dear, to take you for something so very different. Ah, oh, but I too. How have I mistaken you? Oh, come, for goodness sake, tell me what you thought of me. Oh, I thought you had no feeling for such an odd hand-to-mouth life as mine and were rolling in affluence. <laughs> Only look at my figure, my dear, and give me your opinion whether if I was in affluence I should be likely to roll in it. (laughs) (laughs) So we had the tea and the rest of the affairs too, and and after all it was but £40, and there. She's as industrious and straight a creature as ever lived, and has paid back half of it already. And where's the use of saying more, particularly when it ain't the point? We got as merry as Griggs, whatever they are, if you happen to know, my dear, I don't. And I went back to my blessed home, as happy and thankful as could be. But before I make an end of it, think even of my having misunderstood the Major. Yes, for next morning, the Major came into my little room with his brushed hat in his hand.
2: My my dearest madam, my esteemed and beloved friend... (gasps)
1: Has anything happened to our darling boy?
2: No, no, no. Uh, but Miss Wozenham has been here this morning to make her excuse to me. And, by the Lord, I can't get over what she told me.
1: Oh, haughty Major, you don't know yet that I was afraid of you last night and didn't think half as well of you as I ought. So... Come out of church, Major, and forgive me like a dear old friend and I'll never do so anymore. And I leave you to judge, my dear, whether I ever did or will. And now, my dear, I really am going to tell you about my legacy if you're inclined to favour me with your attention. And I did fully intend to have come straight to it, only one thing does so bring up another. It was the month of June and the day before Midsummer Day when my girl, Winfred Badges, comes to me. She was what is termed a Plymouth sister and the Plymouth brother that made away with her was quite right for a tidier young woman for a wife never came into a house. A gentleman from the consul's wishes particular to speak to Mrs Lyriper. Oh, show him in.
0: Madame Lyriper.
1: Yes, sir. Oh, take a chair.
0: Madame, I come from the French consuls. Well, I can see at once it's not the Bank of England. We have received from the Marie at Sens a communication which I will have the honour to read. Madame Liraper understands
1: French. Oh dear no, sir. Madame Liriper don't understand anything of the sort.
0: It matters not. I will translate. In the town of Sens, in northern France, An unknown Englishman lies dying. He is speechless and without motion. In his lodgings are a gold watch, a purse with money, and a trunk containing clothes, but no passport and no papers. Except that on his table is a pack of cards. Written in pencil on the back of one card, the ace of hearts are the words. To the authorities, when I am dead, pray send what is left as a last legacy to Mrs Liriper of 81 Norfolk Street, Strand, London. Does Madame Liriper believe she recognises her unfortunate compatriot?
1: Compatriot? Excuse me, sir, would you have the kindness to make your language as simple as you can? This Englishman unhappy at the point of death,
0: this... Compatriot afflicted. Oh,
1: thank you. I understand you now. No, sir, I have not the least idea who this can be.
0: Has Madame Neribor no son, no nephew, no godson,
1: no friend, no acquaintance of any kind in France? To my certain knowledge, no relation or friend, and to the best of my belief, no acquaintance.
0: Pardon me, uh, you take locataire?
1: Locuters? Lucky tears! Oh no! I thank you. I have not contracted the stuff a bit yet.
0: Lodgers, Madame.
1: <laughs> Bless the man! Oh yes, to be sure. May it not be a former lodger?
0: Some lodger, you pardon some rent? You have pardoned lodgers some rent?
1: Um. It has happened, sir, but I assure you I can call to mind no gentleman of that description that this is at all likely to be.
0: Hmm. It is very strange.
1: In short, my dear, we could make nothing of it. And the gentleman noted down what I said and went away. But he left me with a copy of the paper, and then the Major came in. Well, madam? Well indeed, Major. Here is Old Moore's Almanac with the hieroglyphic complete for your opinion.
2: My word!
1: Major, you're paralysed.
2: Madam, Jemmy Jackman is doubled
1: up. Major, do you know whereabouts this sane town of Sons is in France? Madam, I do. Sons
2: is some 70 miles south of Paris.
1: Major? We will go there with our blessed boy.
2: Capital, madam,
1: capital. If ever the major was beside himself, it was at the thought of that journey. All day long, he was like the wild man of the woods. And early next morning, hours before Master Jemmy could possibly have come home from boarding school for his midsummer holidays, he was outside in the street. (laughs) Ha ha, Master Jemmy, we are all going to France. So on the second day after midsummer we went off by the morning mail coach and when we came to the sea, which I had never seen but once in my life and that when my poor lyriper was caught in me, the freshness of it and the deepness and the airiness and to think it had been rolling ever since and was always rolling and so few of us minding made me feel quite serious. But I felt happy too, and so did Jemmy and the Major. And not much motion on the whole. But my dear, the blueness and the lightness and the coloured look of everything when we got across to the continent—it made me feel as if I don't know what, as if the atmosphere had been lifted off me. And as to the lunch, why, bless you, if i kept a man cook and two kitchen maids, I couldn't have got it done for twice the money. And no injured young woman are glaring at you and grudging you and acknowledging your patronage by wishing that your food might choke you. But so civil, hot and attentive and every way comfortable – except Jemmy pouring wine down his throat by tumblers full and me expecting him to drop under the table at any moment. Uh, Qu'est-ce que vous voulez boire, madame? Non comprenez. You're very kind, but it's no use. Now, Jemmy... Don't worry, Gran. Let me. And then Jemmy fires away at them lovely. The only thing wanting in his French, being as it appeared to me, that he hardly ever understood a word of what they said to him, though in other respects he was a perfect native. Before going on to look after my legacy, we were to make one regular day in Paris. And I leave you to judge, my dear, what a day that was, with Jemmy and the Major and me and the prowling young man at the inn door, but very civil too, that went along with us to show us the sights. Will I speak English? No? If you can, young man, I shall take it as a favour. (laughs) Ha (laughs)
2: ha! Capital! How you say? Capital?
1: Well, after half an hour of this, I fully believed the man had gone mad and me too. So I told him to put a stop to it and fall back on his French. And of Paris, I can tell you no more, my dear, than its town and country both in one and... Carved stone and long streets of high houses and gardens and fountains and statues and trees and gold and immensely big soldiers and immensely little soldiers. And the pleasantest nurses with the whitest caps are playing at skipping rope and clean tablecloths spread everywhere for dinner and people sitting out of doors smoking and sipping all day long and little plays being acted in the open air for little people and every shop a complete and elegant room. Everybody seeming to play at everything in the world. And very cool and refreshing the pleasant country was for the next day when we went on to look after my legacy and rest to be much... And did me a deal of good. So at length and at last, my dear, we came to Sens, a pretty little town with a great two towered cathedral, and the rooks flying in and out of the loopholes, and another tower atop one of these towers like a sort of stone pulpit. The pleasantest situated inn we stayed in, my dear. Right under the two towers with their shadows are changing upon it all day like a kind of sundial and country people driving in and out of the courtyard in carts and hooded cabriolets for the market outside in front of the cathedral.
2: Madam, may I propose that whatever comes of your legacy, this should be the place to stay for our holiday.
1: Indeed it should, Major. May I also suggest that our dear boy had best not be checked in his joy by the sight of the dying Englishman, if he is still alive. In short, we should go together and alone to visit him. Of course, madam. And so we did. After dinner, when Master Jemmy had set off to see the river, the Major went down to the Mary... And presently came back with a military character in a sword and spurs, a cocked hat, a yellow shoulder belt and long tags about him that he must have found inconvenient. The
2: Englishman still lies in the same state, dearest madam. This gentleman will conduct us to his lodgings.
1: The military character went in front and he stopped at a pork shop with a little statue in the window of a pig sitting up and a private door that a donkey was looking out of. Uh, uh. So, the coast being clear, the Major and me were conducted up the common stair and into the front room on the second, a bare room, and the outside blinds closed to darken it. The sun had got low and darkened the cathedral tower. I turned to the bed by the wall and saw the Englishman. He had some kind of brain fever, and his hair was all gone, and some wetted, folded linen lay upon his head. Though lying there alone, the poor creature was as well taken care of as could be hoped, and would have been quite unconscious of anyone sitting by him then. Madam,
2: I never saw this face before.
1: I never saw this face before. Tell the Frenchman we don't know him, and I'll be back tomorrow to sit by him.
2: Eh... Nous ne connaissons pas cet homme. Madame va rentrer demain.
1: I got the major to add, and I shook my head hard to make it stronger, that we agree that we never saw this face before. The military character shrugged his shoulders and showed the major the card on which was written about the legacy for me. It had been written with a weak and trembling hand and we knew no more about the writing than the face. Our oh boy, was greatly surprised when we told him of this, sitting out on the balcony in the starlight and he ran over some of the major stories of former lodgers. In the morning, just at breakfast time, The military character came jingling round.
2: He says that the doctor thinks there may be some rally for the Englishman before the end.
1: You two boys go and enjoy yourself and I'll take my prayer book and go and sit by the bed. Mm. Mm. It was quite late on in the day when the gentleman finally moved his hand. He had been so still that the moment he moved, I knew of it. And I pulled off my spectacles and laid down my book and rose and looked at him. From moving one hand, he began to move both. And then his action was that of a person groping in the dark. Long after his eyes had opened, there was a film over them and he still felt for his way out into the light. But by slow degrees, his sight cleared. And his hand stopped. He saw the ceiling, he saw the wall, and he saw me. As his sight cleared, mine cleared too. And at last we looked into one another's faces. It is you!
0: In episode two of Mrs. Lirriper’s Legacy by Charles Dickens, S.J. Vant was Mrs. Lirriper. Emma Willits played Sally Rariganou, the maid, and Jane Pulford was again Miss Wozenham. Major Jackman was delivered by Mike Ayres, the French consul by Jim Newberry, Master Jemmy by Frankie Hart, and the young Frenchman was Mark Smith. All other parts were played by members of this cast. The story was adapted and directed by Jim Newberry with sound engineering and all sound effects mastered by Robbie Burgess. This is a joint venture between Old Dolly and Uptick Productions. In the third and last episode of Mrs. Lirriper's Legacy, the true identity of the dying Englishman will finally be revealed and the sins of the past are resolved. Mrs. Lirriper the Major and Jemmy are left to enjoy their French holiday, during which Major Jackman goes native and young Jemmy tells a pertinent story of his own.